Book Three, Chapter Twelve, of the Lancashire Witches. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Reading by Andy Minter. The Lancashire Witches, A Romance of Pendle Forest, by William Harrison Ainsworth. Book Three, Houghton Tower, Chapter Twelve, The Last Hour. Within the pavilion sat Alice Nutter. She was clad in deep mourning, but her dress seemed disordered as if by hasty travel. Her looks were full of anguish and terror. Her blanched tresses, once so dark and beautiful, hung dishevelled over her shoulders, and her thin hands were clasped in supplication. Her cheeks were ashy pale, but on her brow was a bright red mark, as if traced by a finger dipped in blood. A lamp was burning on the table beside her. Near it was a skull, and near this emblem of mortality, an hourglass running fast. The windows and doors of the building were closed, and it would seem the unhappy lady was a prisoner. She had been brought there secretly that night, with what intent she knew not, but she felt sure it was with no friendly design towards herself. Early in the day, three horsemen had arrived at her retreat in Pendle Forest, and without making any charge against her, or explaining whither they meant to take her, or indeed answering any inquiry, had brought her off with them, and proceeding across the country, had arrived at a forester's hut on the outskirts of Houghton Park. Here they tarried till evening, placing her in a room by herself, and keeping strict watch over her and when the shadows of night fell, they conveyed her through the woods, and by a private entrance to the gardens of the tower, and with equal secrecy to the pavilion, where, setting a lamp before her, they left her to her meditations. All refused to answer her inquiries, but one of them, with a sinister smile, placed the hourglass and skull beside her. Left alone, the wretched lady vainly sought some solution of the enigma, why she had been brought thither. She could not solve it, but she determined, if her capture had been made by any lawful authorities, to confess her guilt and submit to condign punishment. Though the window and doors were closed, as before mentioned, sounds from without reached her, and she heard confused and tumultuous noises, as if from a large assemblage. For what purpose were they met? Could it be for her execution? No, there were strains of music and bursts of laughter, and yet she had heard that the burning of a witch was a spectacle in which the populace delighted, that they looked upon it as a show like any other, and why should they not laugh and have music at it? But could she be executed without trial, without judgment? She knew not. All she knew was that she was guilty and deserved to die. But when the idea took possession of her, the laughter sounded in her ears like the yells of demons, and the strains like the fearful harmonies she had heard at weird sabbaths. All at once she recollected, with indescribable terror, that on this very night the compact she had entered into with the fiend expired, that at midnight, unless by her penitence and prayers she had worked out her salvation, he could claim her. She recollected also, and with increased uneasiness, that the man who had set the hourglass on the table, and who had regarded her with a sinister smile as he did so, had said it was eleven o'clock. 
Her last hour, then, had arrived, nay, was partly spent, and the moments were passing swiftly by. The agony she endured at this thought was intense. She felt as if reason were forsaking her, and but for her determined efforts to resist it, such a crisis might have occurred. But she knew that her eternal welfare depended upon the preservation of her mental balance, and she strove to maintain it, and in the end succeeded. Her gaze was fixed intently on the hourglass. She saw the sand trickling silently but swiftly down, like a current of life-blood, which, when it ceased, life would cease with it. She saw the shining grains above insensibly diminishing in quantity, and, as if she could arrest her destiny by the act, she seized the glass and would have turned it. But the folly of the proceeding arrested her, and she set it down again. Then horrible thoughts came upon her, crushing her and overwhelming her, and she felt, by anticipation, all the torments she would speedily have to endure. Oceans of fire in which miserable souls were forever tossing rolled before her. Yells such as no human anguish can produce smote her ears. Monsters of frightful form yawned to devour her. Fiends armed with terrible implements of torture, such as the wildest imagination cannot paint, menaced her. All hell and its horrors was there, its dreadful gulf, its roaring furnaces, its rivers of molten metal, ever burning, yet never consuming its victims. A hot, sulphurous atmosphere oppressed her, and a film of blood dimmed her sight. She endeavoured to pray but her tongue clove to the roof of her mouth. She looked about her for her Bible, but it had been left behind when she was taken from her retreat. She had no safeguard, none. Still the sand ran on. New agonies assailed her. Hell was before her again, but in a new form and with new torments. She closed her eyes, she shut her ears, but she saw it still, and heard its terrific yells. Again she consults the hourglass, the sand is running on, ever diminishing. New torments assail her. She thinks of all she loved most on earth, of her daughter. Oh, if Alison were near her, she might pray for her, might scare away these frightful visions, might save her. She calls to her, but she answers not. No, she is utterly abandoned of God and man, and must perish eternally. Again she consults the hourglass. One quarter of an hour is all that remains to her. Oh, that she could employ it in prayer! Oh, that she could kneel or even weep! A large mirror hangs against the wall, and she is drawn towards it by an irresistible impulse. She sees a figure within it, but she does not know herself. Can that cadaverous object with the white hair that seems newly arisen from the grave be she? It must be a phantom. No. She touches her cheek, and finds it is real. But, ah, what is this red brand upon her brow? It must be the seal of the demon. She tries to efface it, but it will not come out. On the contrary, it becomes redder and deeper. Again she consults the glass. The sand is still running on. How many minutes remain to her? Ten, cried a voice, replying to her mental inquiry. Ten and turning, she perceived her familiar standing beside her. "'Thy time is well nigh out, Alice Nutter,' he said. "'In ten minutes my lord will claim thee.' 
"'My compact with thy master is broken,' she replied, summoning up all her resolution. "'I have long ceased to use the power bestowed upon me, but even if I had wished it, thou hast refused to serve me.' "'I have refused to serve you, madam, because you have disobeyed the express injunctions of my master,' replied the familiar. "'But your apostasy does not free you from bondage.' "'You have merely lost advantages which you might have enjoyed. "'If you chose to dismiss me, I could not help it. "'Neither I nor my lord have been to blame. "'We have performed our part of the contract.' "'Why am I brought hither?' demanded Mistress Nutter. "'I will tell you,' replied the familiar. "'You were brought here by order of the king.' "'Your retreat was revealed to him by Master Potts, who learnt it from Jennet Device. "'The sapient sovereign intended to confront you with your daughter Alison, "'who, like yourself, is accused of witchcraft. "'But he will be disappointed, for when he comes for you, "'you will be out of his reach.' <laughs> "'And he rubbed his hands at the jest.' "'Alison accused of witchcraft, sayest thou?' cried Mistress Nutter. "'Aye,' replied the familiar. "'She is suspected of bewitching Richard Asherton, "'who has been done to death by Janet Device. "'For one so young, the little girl has certainly a rare turn for mischief, "'but no one will know the real author of the crime, "'and Alison will suffer for it.' "'Heaven will not suffer such iniquity,' said the lady. "'As you have nothing to do with heaven, madam, it is needless to refer to it,' said the familiar. "'But it is certainly rather hard that one so young as Alison should perish.' "'Can you save her?' asked Mistress Nutter. "'Oh, yes, I could save her, but she will not let me.' "'replied the familiar, with a grin. "'No, no, it is impossible,' cried the wretched woman, "'and I cannot help her.' "'Perhaps you might,' observed the tempter. "'My master, whom you accuse of harshness, "'is ever willing to oblige you. "'You have a few minutes left. "'Do you wish him to aid her? "'Command me, then I will obey you.' "'This is some snare,' thought Mistress Nutter. "'I will resist it.' "'You cannot be worse off than you are,' remarked the familiar. "'I know not that,' replied the lady. "'What wouldst thou do?' "'Whatever you command me, madam, "'I can do nothing of my own accord. "'Shall I bring your daughter here? "'Say so, and it shall be done.' "'No, thou wouldst ensnare me.' she replied. I well know that thou hast no power over her. Thou wouldst place some phantasm before me. I would see her, but not through thy agency. She is here, cried Alison, opening the door of a closet and rushing towards her mother, who instantly locked her in her arms. But pray for me, my child, cried Mistress Nutter, mastering her emotion, or I shall be snatched from you for ever. "'My moments are numbered. Pray, pray!' 
Alison fell on her knees and prayed fervently. "'You waste your breath,' cried the familiar in a mocking tone. "'Never till the brand shall disappear from your brow, "'and the writing traced in her blood shall vanish from this parchment, "'can she be saved. She is mine.' "'Play, Alison, play!' shrieked Mistress Nutter. "'I will tear her in pieces if she does not cease,' cried the familiar, "'assuming a terrible shape, and menacing her with claws like those of a wild beast. Oh, "'Pray thou, mother!' cried Alison. "'I cannot!' replied the lady. "'I will kill her if she but makes the attempt,' howled the demon. "'But try, mother, try!' cried Alison. The poor lady dropped on her knees, and raised her hands in humble supplication. "'Heaven, forgive me!' she exclaimed. The demon seized the hourglass. "'The sand is out. The term has expired. She is mine!' he cried. "'Clasp thy arms tightly round me, my child. He cannot take me from thee!' shrieked the agonised woman. "'Release her, Alison, or I will slay thee likewise,' roared the demon. "'Never!' she replied. "'Thou canst not overcome me.' "'Ah!' she added joyfully. "'The brand has disappeared from her brow.' "'And the writing from the parchment,' howled the demon. "'But I will have her notwithstanding.' And he plunged his claws into Alice Nutter's flesh. "'but her daughter held her fast. "'Oh, hold me, my child, hold me, or I am lost!' shrieked the lady. "'Be warned, and let her go, or thy life shall pay for hers!' cried the demon. "'My life for hers willingly,' replied Alison. "'Then take thy fate,' rejoined the evil spirit, "'and placing his hand upon her heart, it instantly ceased to beat. "'Mother, thou art saved! Saved!' exclaimed Alison, throwing out her arms. And gazing at her for an instant with a seraphic look, she fell backwards and expired. "'Thou art mine!' roared the demon, seizing Mistress Nutter by the hair and dragging her from her daughter's body, to which she clung desperately. "'Help! Help!' she cried. "'Thou mayst call, but thy cries will be unheeded,' rejoined the familiar, with mocking laughter. Oh, "'Thou liest, false fiend!' said Mistress Nutter. "'Heaven will help me now!' And as she spoke, the Cistercian monk stood before them. "'Hence!' he cried, with an imperious gesture to the demon. "'She is no longer in thy power. Hence!' and with a howl of rage and disappointment the familiar vanished. "'Alice Nutter,' continued the monk, "'thy safety has been purchased at the price of thy daughter's life, but it is of little moment, for she could not live long. Her gentle heart was broken, and when the demon stopped it for ever, he performed unintentionally a merciful act.' She must rest in the same grave with him she loved so well during life. This tell to those who will come to thee anon. Thou art delivered from the yoke of Satan. Full expiation has been made. 
but earthly justice must be satisfied. Thou must pay the penalty for crimes committed in the flesh, but what thou sufferest here shall avail thee hereafter. I am content, she replied. Pass the rest of thy life in penitence and prayer, pursued the monk, and let nothing divert thee from it, for though free now, thou wilt be subject to evil influence and temptations to the last. Remember this. I will, she rejoined. And now, he said, kneel beside thy daughter's body and pray. I will return to the air many minutes be past. One task more, and then my mission is ended. End of chapter 12